Amen. Well, you can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 49. Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 49. That's the text that the Lord has us in this morning as we make our way verse by verse through Luke's gospel. And in his providence, here we sit in this particular text. And I will tell you, after this text, we have one more sermon in the book of Luke. That doesn't make Luke feel good when you are excited about that, but I'm just kidding. But let's uh, start, as we always do, by reading the text. Luke 24, 44 through 49. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. What an incredible passage. And for the third time, you know that what we are seeing in this passage, this is the third week we have covered this section, that what we're seeing in this particular section, in these verses, is the risen Lord Jesus Christ tell his disciples that the gospel message, his gospel, is to be proclaimed among all of the nations. And that his disciples are to be the ones who are proclaiming this message. The message of the gospel, now that it's ready to go out, Christ has finished his work, is to be proclaimed to the whole world. And the ones who are to proclaim that message are the disciples of Jesus Christ. He's making that crystal clear. Christ here is commissioning his disciples. He's commissioning them for a mission that will last the rest of their lives. He's commissioning them for a mission that will extend to the whole entire world. He, he's commissioning them with a mission that will be full of challenges, many challenges, and yet will be full of good news that brings salvation to dead and blind sinners and brings glory to the only true God. This is a glorious message. 
And so his disciples are to bring this message to the world. This is truly the Great Commission, which is what I've entitled this morning. And again, this is part three. And so I encourage you to go back and listen because we've set some foundations for evangelism and for missions and for what Christ is teaching here in terms of sending out his disciples to proclaim the gospel. I'm not going to rehash all of that this morning. So I encourage you again, go back and listen because they lay some foundations for us. But this is what's happening at this point. The accomplishment of Christ would now be offered to the whole world. What he did on the cross, his death, his resurrection, the substitutionary atonement on behalf of repentant sinners would be now offered to the world. And so Jerusalem would hear that the Christ was Jesus. That was the issue. Who's the Christ? It's Jesus. They would hear that. They would hear about their own sinful condition, which they didn't think that they had because of their lineage from Abraham. They would hear about their need for God's forgiveness, which they didn't think they need because the Gentile world is who is separated from God. They would be called to repent, and they would be told that if they repent, forgiveness and reconciliation to God would be granted 100% of the time. The only question is, would they realize their sinful condition and repent? That's the only if. And so Paul then, after that, would, and, and those close to Paul, his apost- the, the, uh, those close to the apostles like Philip and Stephen, they would then lead by taking this message outside of Jerusalem and Judea to the Gentile world so that the world would now begin to hear that this man and this little old region was the Christ, the promised one, the Savior, the perfect Son of God who died on behalf of sinners. No one had heard this message beyond this region. The message of salvation would then go to the world It would go beyond Jerusalem, beyond Judea. And those who were ignorant of their own sinful condition, ignorant of their separation from God, would be informed. They would be told. And then they would be pleaded with to call them to repentance, to faith in Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to the only true God. And so this is, this is the call. This is the reality. This is what they are now being called to. This is what they would proclaim, and this is what they would bring to the world. The apostles, the leading men of the New Testament, they would bring this mission to the world. But not only them, every disciple of Christ at this time, and not only them, but now to us who are disciples. The apostles and the leading men of the New Testament were not the only ones given this commission. It would be given to every disciple of Christ. And in fact, with this situation here in the Great Commission, it is most likely that this Great Commission was given, obviously on the mountain in Galilee, but probably when the 500 people at one time saw the resurrected Christ. And so when this commission was given, it's not only to the apostles. It is to these 500 or so disciples who are now seeing the resurrected Lord. 
And so it was given to these 500 disciples probably at one time. And this commission would then go on all the way to the present, to every believer that would ever follow after this time. Every believer would then have this message proclaimed to them, and then they would proclaim it to others. And through the inspired word of God, we understand that this is our commission. This is our commission. It comes to me and to you. And when it comes to us, listen now, it comes with some things. It comes with authority, meaning this is the true message. This is God's true gospel. And it should come with conviction. Like Paul said, I know what I believed. This is the authoritative message of the Bible. It also comes with instruction. Remember when I taught you a couple of weeks ago through Matthew's parallel account of the Great Commission with the syntax of the words and what he's meaning, the command to go make disciples, the imperative, go make disciples. That's a command to every Christian. And then the participles that inform that verb, going, baptizing, teaching. In other words, Go make disciples. That's the command. And here's how you do it. You go, you baptize, you teach. And so it comes with authority. It comes with instruction. It also comes with the idea that this is to extend to the nations. It's to extend to the ends of the earth. God is the creator of all the ends of the earth. And every person on the planet should hear this message and worship him. It also comes with Jesus's presence and power. You remember, he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And behold, I am what? With you to the very end of the age. And so we are to be his representatives, his proclaimers, his witnesses of this gospel message. Now, last time as we got into the text, we saw that this great commission, Luke's version of it, we can break it into really three parts, three divisions. Number one, the plan in verses 44 through 47. Number two, the people in verse 48. And number three, the power in verse 49. This is how Luke decides to give this great commission. This is how he decides to give it. And last week we covered the plan. So by way of review, let's look at it. Verses 44 through 47. It says this. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus, it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. What we're seeing in these verses is that this proclamation has always been part of the plan. And now it's time. This is where we sit. This is where the disciples sit. Remember now, okay, as we explain these verses, Luke is condensing here. He's condensing several post-resurrection events into one, okay? And the way that Luke puts this is that everything is building to verse 47 
And then everything is flowing from verse 47. That's the pinnacle of the section. Verse 47 reads, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. That's the peak of the section. Therefore, in other words, Luke's record of Jesus giving the great commission is the point here. Okay? So beginning then in verse 44, how does Luke lead us up to, these, to, to that point? Well, here's what happens. Verse 44. This is by way of recap because I told you this last week. Jesus reminds his disciples of what he told them before his death. Verse 44. These are the words, my words, that I spoke to you while I was still what? With you. That everything, here's what he says, that, was, that everything written about me in the Old Testament had to be fulfilled and it would be fulfilled and it was fulfilled. I told you this before I died, that everything written in the Old Testament, the entire Old Testament would need to be fulfilled and it was fulfilled in me. So his disciples, listen, they should have understood this. They should have got it. They should have expected this. This is what has been happening since Christ's birth. So his disciples now should be understanding this. While everyone might have been confused, Jesus is saying, this is what God has been doing since my coming. Before that, but since my coming, and this is what happened. The Old Testament was fulfilled in me. God is keeping with the plan, the predetermined eternal plan for Christ, including his death and resurrection. Jesus is making this clear. So while the disciples could be shocked, they could be worried, they could be confused, they shouldn't be because this has been the plan the whole time since God's Old Testament writings. Christ fulfilled the plan. So after reminding this, verse, uh, them of this, look at verse 45. Then he opened their what? Minds to understand the scriptures. So he said, this is what God's plan was. This is what I told you. Then sovereign illumination after Bible exposition to understand the Old Testament in light of its pointing to Christ. He sovereignly, listen now, he sovereignly, he effectively opens their minds, which had been closed previously, to understand the scriptures, to understand the meaning of the Old Testament in light of how it spoke about Christ and how it was fulfilled. And listen, when he opened their minds, there was no failure. It's not like he tried to open their minds, right? It wasn't like, let me try to get it to them and they still at that point don't get it, right? When he opened their minds, what happened? They got it. They understood. That's God's sovereignty in imparting this understanding of his, of his word. And so they understand it. Now, remember, I told you that the main point of the section is this great commission in verse 47, leading to it, flowing from it, right? So while he's done this expositing, he's done this illuminating work, right? And remember, he's done this before on the road to Emmaus. But here, listen now, listen very close. The purpose for which 
he is now re-explaining this to them is that they would be ones who can explain it to others. He is saying, this has been the plan. Do you understand? Gives them understanding. Then he says, thus, I mean, here's a summary. Remember, the Christ should suffer, the third day rise, right? He's explaining this to them for the purpose, verse 47, that they would then proclaim it to the world. Remember, I gave you a recap last week of all of what they would have to explain to the Jewish world about the Christ and about Jesus fulfilling all of this. So here he's doing this with this specifically in mind for their preparation, for their conviction, for their understanding, so that they themselves would proclaim this message. And by the way, you see it all throughout the book of Acts, right? These disciples refer back to the Old Testament constantly to teach the Jews that Jesus of Nazareth was really indeed God's Christ, the fulfillment of God's plan. So look at verse 46. After he opens their minds, he says to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. After reminding them, after opening up their mind, he summarizes. He's saying, so I told you this, now you understand. So you see, the Christ had to suffer, die, and rise, right? That was the plan. The Christ did this, and this was God's plan all along. Now look at this, ready? Verse 47, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. Now this is the big part here, okay? All of this is just recap, telling you what I already told you so I could tell you some new things that I haven't told you, okay? This plan to proclaim the message is not an add-on at this point. It's not a new part at this point. The proclamation of the gospel is not a new aspect. He's not saying, see, the Christ did all this. Now, what should we do with all of this? Should we keep it to ourselves? Should we go proclaim it? What should we do? No, no, no. He's saying, that this has been part of the plan, the next step of the plan all along, that the Christ should die, rise, and that he should be proclaimed to the world so that sinners can have salvation. Amen. That's been part of the plan, right? And I've been telling you this all along, and now here's where we sit. This is the point in history to which now the Christ has done his work, you go proclaim it. That's where we are. That's part of God's plan. This plan is to save sinners. How are sinners going to be saved unless they hear of the message from the disciples of Christ to proclaim the message to them? That's got to be part of this eternal plan to offer Christ's finished work to the world to proclaim to every person on the planet that they can be reconciled to the holy God of the universe through his son, Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21, you guys know this verse in this past week when the Finder students were at our house um, on Friday night, we sat down in, in the living room and all we did was talk about 2 Corinthians 5.21, substitutionary atonement, that these students would truly understand the gospel because so often it's assumed that middle schoolers and high schools do understand. We go on to other things and yet they've never understood the basic gospel message. And so all we did was talk about 2 Corinthians 5, 21. But you know what it says? 
at the end there, that we might become the righteousness of what? God. That's everyone's problem. That's the world's greatest problem, that they do not have righteousness before God. The biggest question plaguing every person on the planet is, how can a sinful man be reconciled to a holy God without the, the righteousness that God requires? And Christ is the one who does this great substitutionary work on the sinner's behalf to forgive them of their sin and give them righteousness before God. This has to be proclaimed. So that people become aware of their sin, aware that they're separated from God and aware that they can be forgiven and reconciled to God through his son. And so this is the plan. It's going to begin in Jerusalem. Look at verse 47. It's going to begin in Jerusalem and it's going to be proclaimed to the, to the nations. And you might say at this point, wait a second, that was even part of the plan that it was going to begin in Jerusalem? Absolutely. Let me show you. Let's do a little Bible flipping for just a minute, okay? Go to Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter two, let's look at verses two through three. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. And all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that we may teach, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from where? Jerusalem. This is part of the plan. Go to Isaiah 49. Same book, all the way to the end. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. He says, Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make, so Israel will be, you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So from Israel would go to the end of the earth. Go to Micah if you can find it or I can just read it. Isaiah is easy because it's a bigger, bigger book, right? Micah 4, listen to what it says, verses one through two. Just listen close. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and it shall be lifted up above the hills and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, and we've heard this, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall, co shall come forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. This has been the plan exactly. Now it's time for the disciples to take it. Now this leads us, go back to Luke, into this next portion. We've seen the plan of the Great Commission for God's message of salvation to be proclaimed over all the earth. He is worthy to be worshiped. He created everybody. He's the owner and the creator of all things. All people should worship him. He's the only one who deserves to be worshiped. He's everyone's greatest good. 
Everyone must be forgiven. They're gonna stand before God in judgment one day. He's provided a means through his son, Jesus Christ. This is the plan. Now, here's what this leads us to. Who are the people? And we've already alluded to this many times, but it's just explicit here. The great commission, we've seen the plan. Now let's see the people. Jesus says, this is the plan. Then verse 48, you are what? Witnesses of these things. It's pretty clear. You could probably guess who the people are. Who are they? Who are the ones to carry out this plan? Who are gonna be the ones to carry out this plan that God has had since the beginning? Who are the ones who are gonna proclaim this message that God has had since the beginning? And now it's time that the message goes forth. Who are gonna be the ones to proclaim it? And so here's what it says. You, literally you all, second person plural, y'all are witnesses, witnesses, martyrs, where we get the word martyr from. It's, it's just a witness. It's the one who reports a message of these things. What things? The things that I just mentioned, right? The Christ should die, rise, and be proclaimed. You are witnesses of these things. You are the ones who have observed this, who know this, who have seen it, who know that it's true. Y'all, speaking to the disciples of Christ, are witnesses of the things that I just talked about that were fulfilled, right? And so the disciples, now here in the immediate context of this, right, they've seen all of this. They've witnessed the events. Start here. They've seen Jesus's life. They've seen Jesus's death. They've seen Jesus's resurrection. They've seen his ministry. We know especially the apostles, right? The, one, of the, one of the three uh, requirements for being an apostle is that you, you've seen the what? The resurrected Lord, right? They've seen the resurrected Lord. Now, so has 500 more disciples at one time. But the disciples, the apostles, and the, the rest of the disciples here, they've seen all of this. They've seen the exact fulfillment of the Old Testament. And so listen, at this point, Jesus is saying, you've seen all of this take place that was to be fulfilled. This has come, and you've watched it all take place, right? Who better to bring the message, right? Who better to bring it? And, and so we're talking about eyewitnesses here. At this point, what Jesus is talking about is eyewitnesses. Acts 1.8 reinforces this idea that the eyewitnesses would be the ones to proclaim the message at first. Now listen to this. God has not chosen angels to proclaim this message. They proclaim it a few times throughout history, but they're not, they're not the carriers of the gospel message. He has not uh, chosen any other means by which this would go forth except through his human witnesses. And so these people have witnessed the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and now they're gonna proclaim his saving gospel. The apostles, the New Testament prop, prophets, the early, the, uh, early disciples, right? Early uh, uh, witnesses here, early church disciples who were witnesses. But then listen now, by extension, all believers, all believers throughout church history, okay? And how do you know that? 
How do you know that it wasn't just these disciples, these eyewitnesses who were charged with it and were free of having to do this mission? Well, Acts 1.8 says that this message should go to where? The ends of the earth, right? The ends of the earth, right? And so did those apostles and disciples immediately um, in their lifetime bring that message to the ends of the earth? No, they didn't. So by extension, this is our message. And we know from the word of God and Christ's teaching that it, it is our message. And so this is the next step in the plan. And this includes you. This includes you. All of that <laughs> from the very beginning of this message to get to this point now. You're the person. You are the people. You are part of God's plan since the beginning to now proclaim this message to the world. Can you believe it? He had you as part of the plan. He doesn't need you. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. But by his grace, he's included you in his plan to proclaim the gospel to the lost world. He saved you by his grace. He didn't need to do that. By his sovereign choice, nothing that you've done, Titus says, in your works of righteousness, what a gracious act of a holy God to save you. And now he makes you part of his plan to bring that message to others. And so this is God's plan for you. Listen, it's really not complicated in the scriptures, okay? In the church, we have one purpose, build up and mature, equip right? The church is to be built up. It's to be equipped. You're supposed to build each other up in love. Ephesians 4, you're getting equipped by the word, and then you're serving one another to mature one another, build one another up in love. And this is just real simple. The church is to be built up, and then the world is to be reached, right? That's just theological truth summed up uh, for the church and the world, right? The church is to be built up. The world is to be reached with the gospel. You don't have to do a whole bunch of other things in the world. If you have the time, if you have the energy, if you have the resources, you can. You can do a lot of other things if they help supplement the gospel message, like provide meals or those types of things. But the one thing that you must do for the world is evangelize. That's a non-negotiable. That's what Jesus says. You can do a lot of other things, do good to all men. But one thing you must do is proclaim the message. The church is to be built up. The world is to be reached, right? And that's your mission. That's your mission. The pastors and, and uh, those teachers in the church are to build up the church. As you're equipped, you're supposed to build up each other. And then the world is to be reached. When you leave these doors, you are to go reach your neighbor and if God calls you, you are to pick up your life, sell all your stuff and move to another country, learn another language to get the gospel to a people who can't get it otherwise. They don't have a friend who has a friend who has a friend who has a friend who has a friend that knows the gospel. Someone's got to go to them. Romans 10 tells us, right? And so this is the plan. Witnesses, you by extension, not only these eyewitnesses here, but you by extension are the witnesses of Christ. This commission comes to you. It comes to you. And it doesn't mean that it's always going to be received. And it doesn't mean that it's always going to be easy. And I've told you in the past couple of messages, more practical things of how to do this. I want you to see big picture. 
This doesn't, I'm trying to cover every aspect of missions, discipleship, evangelism for you. Just go back and listen to these past three messages and just take in every aspect. But I want you to understand this particular aspect. It doesn't mean that it's always gonna be received. It doesn't mean that you're not gonna be rejected. Because you are the witnesses, Christ doesn't mean that you're gonna always be successful at this. Listen, you have to understand this. I was reading a book last week, Satisfied by the Promise of the Spirit. And it's, it's by a man named Thomas Baker. And one part was talking about the apostles' ministry. And, um, and, and I just noticed a, a few things that just really stood out to me. It wasn't the main point of what he was saying, but it, it just stood out to me. We assume that at all points, the apostles' ministry was just vastly different than ours. We, we, we assume that, right? They had the miraculous gifts to confirm their ministry. Um, they were directly chosen by Christ. All of that is true. They built the foundation of the church, right? They, they, the church would be built on their, their teaching. They clarified the New Testament prophets did, the Old Testament in light of Christ now. And, I mean, it, it's just, we assume, man, their ministry was, was wildly different than ours. But think about this. Beyond those foundational aspects, we can't expect, nor have, do we see in the New Testament, that their ministry was much different than our ministry. And so we can't expect it to look very different, right? Paul's message, I mean, just think about the, old, the New Testament, where Paul's writings are, and what he's described as his ministry situation. His message, more times than not, is rejected, Right? I mean, it wasn't, I mean, he spoke with just clear words, the, mess, the same message that you're going to proclaim. I mean, this, there's only one way to proclaim it. And that message was more times than not heard. Someone said, ah, he doesn't speak very well, right? He's not as eloquent. I like this other guy better. Oh, he's strong in his writing, but when he's up close, he's kind of weak and timid. We don't really like him. He wasn't respected by governments. He was thrown into jail. His message was rejected. By the content of his letters, we understand that the churches that he pastored and that he planted, they were far from perfect. I mean, think about this. He writes these letters in the New Testament because these churches need to be corrected. They need help. They need to change. I mean, this, and, and some of them are far worse than anything you, you and I have faced. I mean, he's writing these letters to the churches to build them up, to correct them, to teach them, to guide them, to discipline them, to, to bring exhortation. I mean, 1 Corinthians is completely corrective. The whole book is corrective. Now, I'm going to preach that in, in a couple of books from now. Don't take it as I got to, you know correct you on a whole bunch of things. It's very helpful for us as a church. But listen, that book is completely corrective. In the first 10 or so verses, he affirms their salvation. And for the rest of the book, he corrects them. The whole book. There's a lot of things going on in that church. And, and so really, apart from really 1 Thessalonians, which is really the only book which is pretty much encouraging this, this church the whole time, you're doing great, just keep doing it, Right? The rest of them, he's giving them instruction because he's got he's to teach them how to be better. And these are churches that he planted and he pastored himself. And so listen now, God's plan, I mean, really this is, 
it should be helpful for you to not assume that God's plan of salvation being proclaimed by someone else is, it was more successful or that you even are going to have some kind of great success that the apostles had or wishing that you had that, right? By the majority of the New Testament letters and the New Testament is, is, is the churches tend to get things wrong. Now listen, what that makes you confident in is this, is that your message, it might not always be rejected. It's, I mean, accepted, it's not going to be. It's gonna be rejected more often than not. You're gonna face a lot of problems with those who you try to disciple and try to get them to follow Christ. Most people don't want to, to be part of this plan of making disciples because it's difficult, right? You share the gospel, you lead someone to Christ, you help them follow Christ, and then you're, they're constantly going backwards. You're like, <laughs> we're supposed to be going forward here, right? I mean, it's a hard thing, but listen, take heart. This is how it's gonna be. This is how, how it's gonna be just because God has chosen you to do this and that he's with you. It's, it, don't expect it to always be easy, right? And so, listen, what we see here is that you are the witnesses. By extension, this is your part to play. You are to proclaim this message. God is with you. It doesn't mean that it's gonna be easy. It doesn't mean that it's always gonna be successful. We even see from the apostles that it's not. This is not gonna be some fireworks show of experience, it's not gonna be some fireworks show of positive responses. You say, yes, I'm the witness of Christ. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm by extension his witness. I'm gonna go proclaim this message. And you're expecting to go out and just fireworks are going off. People are receiving this message everywhere. There's positive re responses, reception by those who are, are hearing it. And people are coming to salvation left and right. And when you go out and expect that, then you, you're, you're disillusioned when that doesn't happen, right? And so you've gotta expect that this will be rejected, but you have to understand that you're the one who is called to do it. All you have to do, listen now, is press on and be faithful. Press on and be faithful. Share the gospel with your neighbors. We have a track that I told you about out there. We can help you to learn how to do that. And can I tell you something? The hardest part for people is how to initiate that conversation. I know... People talk about all the time, these conversation starters. How do I start the conversation? I mean, just start the conversation, right? Just start talking to somebody and get to the gospel, right? God will take care of the rest. And listen, if God is calling you to the nations, we have a track for that. We can get you from your interest to the world, right? And our missions team and, and the XL ministries that we subscribe to, we can get you in a couple years, ready to go to the nations. And so all you gotta do is, is obey God in this area. Obey God in this area, no matter what the consequence is. Now listen, you are the witness by extension if you're a Christian. And let me show you now this last thing and we'll be done here. The power, we saw the plan. God, this, this was God's plan for Christ to do this. It was gonna extend to the disciples it's gonna be proclaimed from Jerusalem to the nations. The disciples are the ones who are to do this proclaiming. They are the witnesses. They are the people, by extension, you. And now where does this power come from to do this? Verse 49. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Right? Now, 
What is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about the coming of what? The Holy Spirit. The coming of the Holy Spirit. This would be fulfilled when? At Pentecost. Just a little while later. This would be fulfilled. Stay in Jerusalem till the Spirit comes, then go. Right? This was the promise of the Father, Jesus says here in these verses. This is, he's sending the promise of the Father. We see this promise in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel 39, Joel 2, Isaiah 28, just for example. This is the promise of Jesus, John 14, John 20, Matthew 28, right? And so this Spirit of God would come to them and come in them once and for all for every person who would ever believe in Christ. This is, at Pentecost, listen now, is the inauguration of the Holy Spirit. That's a one-time event that will never be repeated and can never be and should never be repeated just as much as Jesus' death and resurrection will never be repeated. That was the inauguration of the Holy Spirit. And following that point, every believer now, we see in Ephesians chapter one, Romans chapter eight, is filled with the Holy Spirit of God at the point of salvation. When you come to know Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in and indwells you as a believer in Christ. And the apostles would be uniquely gifted for this proclamation and everyone else would have the spirit who gives boldness, who gives understanding, who reminds them of Jesus's teachings so that you can proclaim this message to the world, right? And so this spirit is in you. This spirit brings to mind God's truth, John 14. This spirit gives you the power to obey the commission, John 15, Ephesians 6, Galatians 5. This spirit gives you courage, boldness, and love, 2 Timothy chapter 1. It takes the word. Listen now, the spirit does. He takes the word and he convicts the sinner, right, that you're evangelizing. So he convicts the world of the sin. He's... The uh, Jesus's very presence in you, Matthew 28. It helps you to pray for the lost, the Spirit does. In other words, the proclamation now does not rest on you. It rests on God's work through you. And here's what I want, to understand, want you to understand as we close. What this means for you is that your gospel proclamation to the lost world does not rest on your cleverness. It does not rest on your ability. It does not rest on any form of pragmatism. It does not rest on any new ideas or fresh approaches. It doesn't rest on any emotional components. It rests on you being faithful to obey Christ, to proclaim the message, his spirit in you, bringing to mind the truth, convicting the sinner of the truth and regenerating the sinner, through your faithful witnessing. That's it. You can depend on God, trust in God, trust in his power to do this work and not have to come up with this great plan yourself. Look at Mark chapter four. Mark chapter four. It's a great, it's a great parable. Mark chapter four, 
Verses 26 through 29 will be done. It says this, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows and he knows not what, how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. You scatter the seed and you go to sleep trusting God. That's the plan. This is God's plan for the gospel to be proclaimed. The people are you, his witnesses, every disciple of Christ. Doesn't mean it's gonna always go great. You're not gonna be great, but you're the chosen instrument. And the power comes from the spirit of God to do the work. You scatter the seed and you trust God, but don't not scatter the seed. That's all you gotta do is, is share the message accurately and clearly. Be faithful to evangelize. So as we close this, we've spent a few weeks on, there. I'm just, on this. I'm just trying to figure out it's to say as, how to say as much as I can say. This is my chance to get you to evangelize, right? Are you gonna do this? Are you gonna do this? Are you gonna go out and forget this? Or are you gonna have joy in witnessing? Are you gonna try it even though it's hard? Are you gonna invest in others even though they might take a long time to get to the place where you need them to get to? Do you have a desire to do it? If you're a believer, you should because it should come from a love for God, a love for others, a desire to do his will, a desire for him to be worshiped and glorified because you know he's worthy. It should come from a desire to serve God, an understanding of his message, confidence and boldness in him. Are you gonna do this? That's the question. That's the only question. And if you will, God will save others through your life, through your faithfulness. Let's be a church that is built up here and goes out and reaches the world out there. Let's pray. Father, we, I just ask that you would take your word, the words that we see in, in your pages here, and just convict us to be your witnesses. This was your plan. Those who were eyewitnesses in early church history were faithful with it. The message has gotten to us and now we are to extend it to the world. We are by extension your chosen instruments and part of your plan. God, we know that we don't have to do this on our own, that your spirit emboldens us gives us understanding of the word, helps us to call to mind what you've taught in your word so that we can explain it, helps us to even pray, helps us to have love for others, the fruit of the spirit, helps us to love you with all of our hearts, convicts us to go and share the gospel, convicts us of sin to get out of our lives, to get, it gets in the way of us proclaiming the gospel. I mean, this is just clear. You got a plan, you've chose the people, and now you give the power through your spirit. Help us to be faithful to your message that sinners would be saved, that sinners would be saved.
I pray that this church, as it's built up, would reach the lost. In Jesus' name, amen.